Hey, Benjamin here. This episode contains clips from the movie that feature some explicit language, including use of the N-word. If that sounds like something that might offend you or you're listening with children, you might want to skip this one. All right, here's the show. Hello and welcome to Affable Chat. My name is Benjamin and I'm joined by Joey. Hey, how's it going? And today we're talking about Sorry to Bother You. Oh yeah, all right, hell yeah, that's right, oh yeah, all right, hell yeah, that's right, hey, hey. This is a dark comedy. Directed by Boots Riley. The cast includes Lakeith Stanfield, Valkyrie, Danny Glover, President Camacho, Harmy Ammer, David Cross, and Patton Oswald. I watched this movie on YouTube. Joey, how did you watch it? I, also, I did not watch it on YouTube. I watched it on Amazon Video. I was close to watching it on YouTube. It was, it was a toss-up. I actually bought this one on YouTube and uh, definitely going to get, I think, full use out of that because I do plan on showing this to some people. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give us the synopsis for Sorry to Bother You. A man gets a much-deserved promotion. That's right. That's sorry to bother you. We'll get right into it. Let's start with what we liked about the movie. The pros. I'll go first. Uh, I, I think this movie has a great aesthetic. Uh, the, the look and the feel and the music as well for this movie are very unique. It feels like you're watching something fresh and new while you're watching it. And that goes really along with that goes really well along with how creative this movie is, not just with the concept, but also just the the bits and the individual things. Like a really good example is the telemarketing call where they actually drop into the kitchen or wherever they're the person who's answering the phone is uh ideas like that come up throughout this whole movie and the whole time it feels like a fresh new movie viewing experience uh there's plenty of memorable characters uh throughout this movie and they cover the movie covers some deep topics uh that i think are are it's done in a well that's in a way that's palatable and also the movie is terrifying i had <laughs> i i legitimately had nightmares uh after i watched this movie did I you pro- really i probably shouldn't have watched it right before bed but i'm putting that in the pros because i think the way that they executed it the things that gave me nightmares uh were done in like a really good way if that makes any sense uh so That's i'll quite take a compliment <laughs> uh joy what did you like about it um all the things you said it, it's a fun weird and truly biting movie it takes the concept and really drives it straight through the wall um it's great uh it's original time a very timely story with a really fun cast um, and just like you said, memorable characters. Lots of punching up, you know. Um, there's a lot of examples of this uh, movie making fun of advertising without ever fully endorsing an advertisement. Um, we talked about how, you know, the movies like Minority Report or Idiocracy kind of get kind of a double dip in a way, right? They have advertising in their movie, but they're also making fun of advertising. This movie doesn't do that. It just, it just twists your your uh, recognizable brands and it um you know it shows the flaws in the, in those brands um and there's also just like you said some really wonderful visual gags that make this movie a truly uh g- like memorable watching experience it's, it only really works as a movie i think and it that makes it really cool um some of the things i didn't like um some of the storylines sort of fell flat like they kind of went nowhere um and it doesn't really offer any advice it gives you all this um you know dire 
uh, circumstance, all of these uh, ter- terrible things are happening to us, but it doesn't really offer you any sort of solution besides burn it all down. What about you? Uh, honestly, I didn't have much negative to say about this movie. I thought it was really well done, especially because it's Boot Riley's directorial debut, yes. uh, which is extremely impressive to me to be able to do something of this quality on your first try. Um, but my, I guess my one thing is I wish I could have been a little bit more convinced uh, of Cash as a salesman. Uh, I know he becomes the power caller, and it's, it is kind of chalked up to his white voice, which is its own uh, political commentary or social commentary there. Um, but we did get a peek into what he's capable of as a salesman when he has the conversation with the uh, Asian man who's sitting on the toilet, and you yes. get to see him turn the bidet on while he's making the sales pitch. That was amazing, and it was so funny. And for as much selling as we got to see Cash do, I wish that we had gotten a little bit more of like a micro version of it. We get to see kind of uh, montages of sales being made and we get to just see examples of him. Like obviously he's doing it and the celebrations that happen afterwards. But I wish we could have gotten more of that kind of witty, fun dialogue where it's actually him making the sale, Uh, especially because once he becomes a power caller, it seems like what he's selling is pretty easy to sell uh they're basically saying it's like if you use our stuff you don't have to pay for your workers anymore so why wouldn't you right (laughs) um so i wish i could have gotten a little more in depth there uh and seen more of what makes him the chosen one as opposed to just one of the power callers okay yeah yeah that's fair um you're just kind of take it up to the the movie's point like the movie's word but i mean again that's not really the, the point necessarily is his technique um although like it was kind of implied that he's like some sort of like really convincing or like really powerful individual. You know, people are kind of drawn to him or like see him as something that they could use to their own political gains. So it's um I don't know. It's there's a lot like of implication as well as um like explanation or exposition to uh, pointing toward Cash as a a truly talented telemarketer. Sure. And and that's good enough for me. But at the same time, in the back of my head, I was like, is he actually good at this or is this all a ploy? Are, are mm. they tricking him? Especially, I mean, we're jumping ahead here, but especially once he was offered the fake MLK role, I was like, was this the end game the whole time? Was everything else a farce just to get somebody who would be convinced that they're so great that they should be the Equisapian Martin Luther King Jr.? Um, but I am skipping ahead here um, again. But only someone that was really talented could pull something like that off, you know? Sure. Yeah. And he had to be convincing to a lot of people to get to where he was at that point in the movie. So, um, but at the same time, if he's really that convincing, why not use him to sell things? Anyways, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's, let's actually get into the meat of this movie. Uh, and that's in our overall section. Joey, why don't you take it away? This is a really wild movie. Um, Sorry to Bother You takes you on a tour of capitalist America in a sort of not-too-distant future or a uh, parallel universe kind of way. Um, it does it in this really memorable, funny uh, way that's just full of surprises. The movie, I feel like it's very focused. Um, all of its ideas circle around the main idea, which is the fundamental flaws with capitalism. It takes uh, things beyond the reasonable conclusions into the truly absurd and, frankly, disturbing. Um, but even without its uh, second-act big twist, the movie has plenty of things to say about the world that exists outside of the movie. Um, but like, I think that's totally the point. I like to quote from Batman Begins, sometimes people need dramatic examples to shake them from their apathy. And I think this movie serves as a truly dramatic example of something um, extreme, of something that's really happening in our society today. 
That's the visual thing. gags. Yeah. Go well, ahead. that's the thing. Like, it, there's so much in this movie where it's like, especially with worry free. Worry free is one of the most interesting concepts about this movie for me. But there's so many things where it's like, wow. So thank God that doesn't exist in real life. But it's only like one or two steps away from what definitely is yeah. happening in real life. Yeah, exactly. And that's how the movie really like gets going. And that's how it sells you on this like people are turning being turned into horses idea. You know, it's like, oh, it's just the next logical step. It's just the, it's just, um, you know, if we're going to go take it this far, we might as well take it to the next level and we might as well go as far as we can. Yes. And with the number one show in America being, I got this shit kicked out of me. It's again, it's so ridiculous. I, and this is, um, very similar to something we talked about in idiocracy where they have the show. I think it's called ouch my nuts. Is that what it was yeah, called? Something like, that. something like that. Where basically the whole thing is just a guy getting like hit in the nuts repeatedly in different scenarios. This one like makes it more about like enjoying the. I don't know. I feel like they do a better job of this one. It's more thought out. Um, sure. And the fact that it becomes the the most popular thing. I'm not sure if I totally in, in, like understand uh, Danny Glover's reasoning for saying that it makes him feel warm inside uh, watching people get beat up like that. Uh, <laughs> but well, it's, it's getting humiliated. And I was thinking about this, like, are there any examples of this show in a lesser degree? Yes, right? that's what I was trying I to get say, to. That's what I was trying to get to. And have okay. you seen Ellen's game show on, uh, I don't yes, know which I have. network it is. Yes, that, I have. That, Remember the people were crawling on the ground and stuff? That's what I'm saying, dude. That's only a couple of steps away. And, and like... I think it's different because, like, for instance, Fear Factor is, uh, I, like, not a show anymore, I don't think. But, like, no. it's kind of, that, I think, is for, like, a different audience. That's for people who are, like, looking for something that kind of gross or maybe they're interested in animals. This one is, like, <laughs> normal people just like you go on there and get embarrassed. Like, the yes. Ellen show is ridiculous. Some of the, like, how easy the questions are that people miss. And it's like, oh, you miss. Now we're going to shoot you through the ceiling. Like, you're going to get <laughs> pulled by a cable that launches you through the ceiling. We don't see you anymore. And it's like and i've watched it and it felt like a similar feeling where i'm like people enjoy this and i'm not trying to be hot like holier than thou and be like it's better i'm this is too lowbrow for me or whatever it's i think it's just bizarre that this is even a, a thing we've gotten to the point of absurdity with game shows where the reward isn't to win the game the reward is to watch other people lose at the game yes i mean that's who's gonna that's your market you know who cares if people win or not um it's like <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I want to say like shows like if you expand the idea of the um, uh, I got the shit kicked out of me to beyond physical violence to something that's like just humiliation. I feel like shows like The Bachelor or like shows on the on TLC reality shows where that exploit people's like um, like natural tendencies for your own personal like like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to this person. I wonder how this per this train wreck of a person is going to ruin someone else's life. You know, like seeing that all unfold in front of you is so entertaining for so many people. Um, and that it's just a it's a uh, it's a whole market out there for 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 um, people watching people suffer in a way. Right. And it's so <laughs> they've distilled it down to I got the shit kicked out of me, which is just no context, random people showing up, just getting absolutely demolished. Like yes. they had that one person who's like their whole like beneath their nose is just all bloody. And and yeah. that's like that's the difference between this also and uh, idiocracy. Idiocracy was all about it being just ridiculously silly. So it's a guy getting hit in the nuts. and He's like, oh, my nuts. But that was it. These people yeah. are actually bleeding and, and like truly suffering. And there's just 
150,000 people tuning in and truly 150 million. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 150 million. Number one show in the country. Ugh. It's ridiculous. I mean, it's totally ridiculous. But it's also, like, not that far away from a from what we're dealing with right now. Yep. And that's this, that's the beauty of this movie is that it takes things just to the next level and then it goes a little bit further and then a little bit further until you're like, where are we? <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. The, the, the visual gags in this movie, I think are just amazing. Um, especially what you mentioned earlier, the dropping in aspect of the phone calls. It's just so clever and fun. And I feel like it's used perfectly to frame the situation as more personal and intrusive than we like tend to think. You know, someone personally, directly calling you on your phone. They're like, who has your phone number other than like your family and friends? And also every scammer in the world, apparently, who calls me 10 times a day trying to I don't know, with the something. area code from your hometown yes or my the first three digits of my phone number i mean it's ridiculous and like i think that's uh this kind of thing is um juxtaposed juxtaposed really well um because there's this kind of um you think of it, conversations as kind of an extension of empathy um but here they're just used as another corporate tool um, you know, the, the phone call is being capitalized in a way and dehumanized in a way, just like your workers are being capitalized and dehumanized. You want to talk <laughs> about dehumanizing? How about trying sure. to sell your product to somebody whose uh, husband is dying of cancer and you're saying that like, this is great news because we have a product for you that because your husband's going to die. <laughs> it's like, oh man, yeah. they talk about morally bankrupt right there. Um, ah. Yeah, but, th- but that's what makes Cash is, like that's what makes Cash such a good salesman is that he doesn't really care. Like all he cares about is making the sale, and he'll go to any length to make that happen. And you see that like he doesn't he, he doesn't hold back. He doesn't like uh, you know he doesn't say oh he doesn't reflect and say oh I shouldn't do this or something. He says how do I how do I turn this into a sale? How do I spin this? Um, and that's, I think, like your evidence for why he's such a good salesman is, is that scene alone where he um, he tries to sell encyclopedias or whatever he's trying to sell to this uh, woman who's clearly in a lot of pain and looking for some comfort uh, from the phone call. And, and he's just like, ah, you know, why don't you buy something instead? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's why I'm not a good salesman, dude. I've tried. I've been in the sales field before, and I care too much about whoever I am talking to. Uh, that I only yeah. want what's what I actually, what I genuinely believe is best for them. And sometimes that doesn't mean buying two hundred dollars worth of jeans and <laughs> and yes. for one pair of jeans. So then they'll they'll you know if that's what I'm what's going through my mind, then the company that hired me is going to be like dude come on <laughs> yeah you can't yeah. be thinking about the customer here you need to be thinking about the bottom line what's what's interesting i think is that like when, when i was working at the movie theater which wasn't that long ago and the, the, i mean re- working retail really reframes your kind of worldview in a way because like you you suddenly have a lot more empathy for the people behind the counter and a lot less empathy for the people on the other side you know and like working like trying to sell people like trying to uh, uh, upsell people on their popcorn and stuff like it it helped me to do that if i stopped relating to them you know yeah. if i said oh i would never buy popcorn for a place like this so if you cross that line you know you cross from the carpet <laughs> to the tile you're not me anymore and you deserve everything i'm about to give to you like that that's like that's thoughts that i had because i was trying to get 
that next thing because I stopped caring about the person on the other side of the counter. And like, I don't know, that's certainly not a good thing. And that certainly doesn't make me feel good about myself. Um, but like, that's the mentality of, of something like this. Yeah. And unless, it's some, unless you're selling a product that you truly believe in, which some people are very lucky to do, uh, that's the kind of uh, mental gymnastics you're forced to make. I know. I've talked to people about that where I'm like, um, you know, after my experience selling jeans at the mall, I tell them, it's like, you know, I, I don't think I'm a bad salesman. I just have to believe in what I'm selling. And they're like, yeah, okay. That's the easy, that's easy. <laughs> Being a good salesman means you can sell, you know, uh, crap. Yeah. Yeah. Sell something that's has no worth or has low value and get something back for it. That's what makes you a good salesman. So that's why I'm not a salesman. I don't plan on becoming one. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I, I just want to say that I like I love movies like this. Um, it gives you something great to look at. It's exciting and quick paced and it's full of twists and turns. Um, but at the end, it gives you something to think about, too. Um, there's something to take away. Um, and even though this movie is an exaggeration of reality, it's definitely a reflection of it. And you can see the patterns that it's pointing out in real life, too. Oh, yeah. And it definitely, I don't know, like, uh, especially because of the way this, be this movie begins and you get to see, like, the, you know, poverty that Cassius yeah. suffers from. And uh, it kind of made it, like, after I finished the movie, I kind of felt bad. I'm like, I'm doing okay in a capitalist society. What does that mean about me? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm starting to, I'm, I'm by no means am I, like, rich or anything, obviously. But, you know... I have enough time to do a recreational podcast. So like, I don't know, how bad should I feel about that? <laughs> I don't know. That's the thing. Like, that's, that's the guilt that you're, you're kind of assigned in a way. And I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, tough, to, it's, it's tough to reconcile that sometimes. Yes. But I don't know. It's, it's also like, like you can, I, when I saw, uh, what's her name? Deborah Debauchery or whatever her name is. Uh, uh, I think it's actually, Cherry. Yeah, Buche Debbie Cherry, or, or however she pronounces it. <laughs> like she, she, her mannerisms and stuff remind me a lot of me because, like, I'm an engineer um, at at a factory, and I have to, you know, I, I'm talking to people on the floor and everything, um, and I'm trying to relate to them, trying to be empathetic to them, but ultimately, like, it's not my hands that are getting dirty. It's not my you know, it's not my days that spent on the factory floor. I, I'm kind of a visitor there. I don't, I don't live there like they do. So there's always going to be that wall there, no matter how much I tell myself there isn't. Um, and seeing her like use all this corporate speak to try and like pretend that like they're a family or like they're a team or something. It's just like, uh, just twist the knife in a way. It's like, Oh, you know, like the saying stuff like that. It's so transparent. It, like, it's so obvious that like you just want what everyone else wants, which is to get uh, squeeze as much out of these people as possible. Um, and you don't care about them as people at all. Right. Which is so transparent when he's like, okay, since everything's changing, we're a family now, can we get paid more? And she's like, what, what even is pay anymore? Like social capital yeah, is what, what is, you want. What is, social capital is more important. And then she like goes on this rant about the media. <laughs> well, at first she says, no, <laughs> she like does it in quotation marks. <laughs> well, I guess not exactly. I guess you got to try to speak their language, right? You got to tell them, bag them and tag them. <laughs> Bag him and tag him like you're a body. That, <laughs> that was, was great. That was such a funny. Yeah, that that, that whole thing was, way, was so hilarious because it's just so far removed from what they're actually doing. It's like, are you actually instructing us how to kill people? <laughs> uh, I'm glad. I'm glad they oh, had that okay. in there. I think we've all. If you've been, if you ever been managed before, you've been in that situation where it almost seems 
like patronizing the way you b- oh, get yeah. treated because it's like corporate double speak and you gotta really they're trying to motivate everyone to, at the same time so they have to have like a very generic pitch as to why you should be motivated yeah and in the end it's like what are you really doing like you know are you you're selling people things that they don't want over the phone you're bothering like you know normal people that are just like you it's just like you, like there's all this stuff where you just have to be you know, you have to have the suspension of disbelief in a way, you know, you have to like believe that what you're doing is not hurting anyone. I hope, you know, or if it is, maybe I just don't have to think about it that much. It's just be a good place to be a psychopath, right? Yay. <laughs> um, okay. So a few other like concepts that happen in this movie that I want to talk about. So the picture of the man next to the car, uh, that Cash keeps in his cubicle at first, and then it follows him throughout yeah, yeah. the rest of the film. Who is that? Do they ever explicitly I'm pretty sure say? it's his dad. It's his dad, okay. And is this supposed to be, yeah. supposed to embody some sort of, uh, you know, lifestyle or some sort of, um, I don't know, some sort of, sort of belief system where you do what's better for the worker and, and or, or even just your community and not necessarily for yourself? Because obviously they do this cool kind of, He's always a different pose every time he looks at the camera, and it seemingly goes along with where Cash is uh, in his life. So it just kind of felt like a a, a uh, what do they call them? Conscious, a conscious, but without using any words, and also a conscious that definitely has certain political beliefs. You're well, I don't know. Like I think this movie, this movie's political beliefs are supposed to be aligned with some sort of like greater moral purpose, you know, of like, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's not so much of like, oh, unions are good and managers are bad as much as it is like the system we have now is so dehumanizing and so like terrible and so like uncaring and just apathetic toward any sort of humanity um, that like any step in the other direction is is a step toward something more moral or 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 better. Um, so th- I mean, that's kind of the, the takeaway I took from this. And I think what you said is exactly right. I thought that was a really awesome, like visual thing that they just kept, um, moving back to and showing not just, um, how cash is really feeling deep down, but how he perceives his father would have perceived him in his current position. So yeah, it's, um, it's really effective, I think. Yeah, it's really powerful. And it's very, and again, something it's really clever that sticks with you after uh, having seen the film. So, so like, like, yeah, it's like he carries this photo around with him, but why let it be static? Why not let it change with how Cash is feeling? Uh, so when he see, when he looks into that picture, you know, when you look at a picture, you have a picture in your desk and you look at that, there's people on in that picture. Like, you imagine how they see, that they're seeing you right now, you know? Uh, it, it, when you look at it, you're always bringing your own emotion to it. So having that visually represented in this movie, awesome. Oh, yeah. Really, really creative. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, and especially because you get to avoid having him tell us or have a monologue in his head saying, like, my father would definitely not approve. <laughs> exactly. you know, instead, it's his father looking disapproving. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, so I really love that. So another one is just this was just more of a uh, working phenomenon that I have experienced at a certain at times. And it's something that I think is worth talking about when cash spends his first day at work as a power caller he comes well home but he, he goes to the studio where detroit is uh setting up whatever she's doing next her next project and then they, there's this sequence where he can't even hear what she's saying his his thoughts are like clouded it, it comes through muffled and all he can focus on is the joint she's holding and uh and 
that's all he wants to do is escape his smoke and like forget about everything. Uh, and that I think is a feeling that, uh, especially working in the engineering field, sometimes you have to work a lot and like late nights, long days, and then you come home and all you can do, all you have energy to do is prepare for work the next day. Um, and luckily that comes in sprints, uh, for my job specifically, but I know that there are some jobs where it's just a grind the whole time. And it's, it's one of the things that I feel like doesn't get, it's, it's hard to complain about being gainfully employed, you know, but it, there are certain right. times where I feel like there's no mercy for people whose life turns into working and then preparing to be at work. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's certainly true. And I mean, for people that work two jobs or even three jobs, like that is the reality. Um, and all you're doing is working. And I mean, sometimes not even that's enough. You know, I mean, the example that's perfect is the people that work at Worry Free. I mean, they're working 14 hour days. They're always at work. They never leave work. Um, and because they don't have to, there's nothing for them to outside of work. And that's kind of the 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 contract that they've signed and everything. So yeah, like- it- I, I see I didn't I didn't get that from this scene, but I can definitely see where you're coming from. It's it's a um, it's a reality um, that, that kind of emphasizes the dehumanization uh, aspect of this movie again. Yeah. And it for me, I don't know, my, maybe this shouldn't be my mindset, but my mindset generally for work is I work so that outside of work, I can have a good life. And yeah, you work to live. Right. You don't live to work. Exactly. And it feels like if you don't pay attention to that and you aren't uh you know if you're not careful it can quickly turn into the other thing where you're working to live and uh or it would be in the company's best interest whatever company you're working for for that to be the case and i think that it's not unreasonable to insist on that not being the case at the end of the day we're all humans right well that's the thing that like worry free doesn't like worry free takes care of your most basic needs but it doesn't go up that pyramid, you know, like we were talking about in our, our moving for work episode with Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs. Like it only fulfills the most basic things with like what food, water, shelter um, and like I guess safety is the next step up. But like love and affection or like some sort of meaningfulness to your life or self-actualization, like none of that is uh, none of that is provided by your by your employer. Right. And uh, they don't they shouldn't have to. But at the same time, they shouldn't actively prevent you from acquiring from being those able things. to pursue that. Yeah. 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 Um, so another one that I thought was interesting. Remember that scene where Squeeze is leading the rally for the uh, the union or the, the people who want a union who are, are uh, boycotting, not boycotting, striking uh, for the telemarketing yeah, yeah, yeah. company. And he starts talking about how like this really specific instance, like what they deserve is like the ability to like go to the doctor so that they can get an STD checked out essentially. And everyone's like, what? And it's like so clear that this obviously happened to squeeze and he needs to go to the doctor right now and get this STD sorted. Um, but I think it brings up an important thing is that like, Sometimes there there are uncomfortable things like that that we need help with and we should still be able to ask for help, you know. But what it what sucks is when you're put in a in a really tough financial situation or work situation like this, things like that that sh- again, it's an uncomfortable topic on purpose, but when these inconveniences in life come up that a lot of people take for granted how easy it is for them to deal with, when you're when the system is working against you, even something like that can become a huge problem and become a huge obstacle in your life when people who are in a slightly more advantaged position don't even think twice about that type of thing. 
Yes, exactly. I mean, that's the whole argument for free healthcare in a way. You know, not this is not exactly what he's talking about here, but the idea that you have to make a decision between like going to the doctor or like eating or like paying your rent or something is not a decision that people like should have to make. Right. Oh, coming in here with the leftist politics, Joey. Oh my god. What a what a what a, <laughs> what a um extremist view that people should should be able to uh live and uh, like, people shouldn't afford be able, things. Yeah, shouldn't pe- people people shouldn't have to choose between living and <laughs> like not living. Like, it's very presumptuous presumptuous of you to be, like believe that our society is somehow united against death. That we think that like we should stop people from dying or something. <laughs> maybe if we address death more head on, maybe we wouldn't have this problem. Hey, I, I can I can cure you for money. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I just thought this was such a good way to put it because, like, imagine, you know, like, that's a really bad place to be in when you, uh, you know, like, just because, okay, here's the thing. I, I think it gets down to, like, people who think they're holier than thou. They're like, oh, you got an STD and you don't have health care? Then you deserve to suffer. You know, it's like, okay, chill out. I'm sure you've made bad decisions, too. You know, you shouldn't, just because someone made a poor decision that you didn't make doesn't mean that they should suffer to the fullest extent just because they're sure. they're making a bad choice in a different way than you have. So I think it's easy to laugh at Squeeze, but I, I empathize with him. Uh, I'm like, dang, Squeeze, that sucks. <laughs> Is that because you have an STD? Uh, no, I don't. And uh, <laughs> If I did, I don't think I'd come on a podcast and talk about it. Good idea. <laughs> That's in the pipeline. This, this went to a weird place, but um, <laughs> let, me, let me try to take it to another weird place. So Detroit, uh, she has, or Troit, as Cassius uh, refers to her sometimes, um, she puts on this art show where she goes up in front of everyone and lets them splatter her with, was it pig's blood? It was sheep's blood. Sheep's blood. And uh, while she repeats like this one obscure line, did you recognize that line? I did not. No, it's from a, a, some um, like Motown movie. I can't right. remember what it's called. But Last Dragon or something? I, I mean, I don't know if you'll be able to enlighten me on this, but I was pretty lost for that I- in entire thing. Like, I thought it was like, okay, so she does, okay, so she says that um, cell phones are made with a certain type of mineral mm-hmm. that it, or uh, I guess element or something that's found mostly in Africa and Africa has been pillaged for this uh, thing. So cell phones are, are in a way a symbol of oppression um, because they were made off of the backs of people that couldn't like, you know, sell it or whatever. Like it was, it was taken from them, you know, an element that was taken from them. Um, and the way it was taken from them was with blood and, uh, you know, bullets. So that all kind of fit together, uh, I guess. I don't know. I, okay. I no, think, I see it. I see it now. I think the purpose of this was just to be as weird as it possibly could be to show just how much of an artist she is. Because I think part of this movie's, I like, I think that one of the things that the movie does really well is separating the haves from the have-nots and showing just how wide of a gap that is and how both of them are moving in the opposite direction at full sprint. The, the 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 leftist art artist types are like getting as weird as you can possibly imagine and the other people the the three people on the right who are the the, the you know premier capitalists like Steve Lift are you know basically trying to destroy humanity uh from the inside so it's uh you know that they're they could not be further apart from each other um and i, I think there's actually even more evidence that 
in a different aspect, but um, I, I, that's the only thing I got from that, really. Okay, yeah, and it, I think, yeah, it also served its purpose in the plot, but it was bizarre, definitely bizarre, but I think I get the, I get the meaning from it at this point. Um, also, one thing I thought was interesting, this movie is pretty new, right? It came out last year, 2018, right? Uh, 2018, yep. Yeah, 2018, so the inclusion of uh, the creation of an internet meme, uh, how Cash yes. becomes a living meme uh, because of the soda bitch or whatever her name was. Yes. <laughs> Have a soda and uh, smile bitch. Yeah. Is that what she says? Yeah. <laughs> and it becomes like a song and like she gets an endorsement deal from the like from from soda cola soda cola. <laughs> I was actually thinking about that today. They only had to change two letters from Coca-Cola to make it soda cola. And uh, and I'm sure Coca-Cola gave them no money for that. Uh, That's true. So I'll, I I like it. That's doing it right. Um, but yeah, I just but you this- know they probably advertised in the theater before they showed it though. Oh, definitely. But that's more of like a deal with the the theater, the isn't theater it? itself. But yeah. still, it's a little ironic, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought this was I thought this was cool. I thought they did it well. Um, it seemed you know somewhat real. I it definitely became a, a normie meme before long because like the craftswoman on the network television was showing them how to make a uh, soda can like that was such a hilarious thing because you're like like I I wasn't paying as much attention to it the first time and so like when it shows up more and more I'm like what is happening especially since Cassius is is completely dismissive of it and like doesn't address it directly but this time I was paying closer attention and yeah like that whole reveal of what she's actually making on the craft show she's like she has an afro and and like Cash is like looking at her like what is she what is she doing and then she puts the soda can <laughs> on it and then she puts it on and she's like I'm the you know have a soda and, and smile bitch girl like guy like <laughs> And there's like all the people wearing it too in the yeah in the yeah protest. the Halloween costumes and stuff yeah it's oh yeah and then they use it at the as like a a, a symbol of demonstration for the strike workers later um, no I think that's I think that's hilarious and um, I love the way that it, it progresses from just someone randomly doing it it becomes a viral video it's watched you know 500 million times which is still a very significant amount of of views you know that would that would be on the news um the but uh uh then for then it to be uh roped in by the soda company itself to become part of their advertising campaign but the one thing i was confused about uh was whether she was originally a like a like a agent for the soda company or if she became one afterward oh my gosh cuz she says have a soda and smile right which is a a, a classic um a coca-cola slogan that's from like a long time ago have a coke and smile maybe maybe she was being facetious maybe she was like don't actually smile because i'm slamming you in the face with this right i mean that makes sense but (laughs) but the embracing of like the vulgarity and everything but also to um to to use the viral the only thing that matters is the clicks use the virality of it to promote your product because she happens to use it is so like not only is that brilliant, it also really happens. So like, it's just, it's just great. Well, it's like to see it, it's like, them really actually make this like a reality. Well, it's like planned out, almost like the Equisapien MLK, which uh, yeah. like having the corporation itself like undermine any sort of resistance by being the resistance itself. Yes. in a planned out way is horrifying, dude. Like anytime I find out that I'm part of like a marketing scheme on accident. Um, <laughs> then I feel so dirty and I hate it. And it's almost unavoidable. 
almost anything. Like for instance, uh, like committing to a certain brand. Like for instance, the the, the drink of the summer has been right. uh, White Claws, the uh, the yes. spiked seltzer drink. I, I bought some of those. They're terrible. <laughs> well, opinion of them or not, um, they could have been a drink that you picked up and liked or whatever. But I've noticed a lot of people are drinking sure. them, including me. Unfortunately, me, I guess. Um, people are drinking them for the meme. They're drinking them because it's a bit. Because some right. p- people have decided that this ridiculous, who drinks spiked seltzer? It is suddenly this thing that you should be militant about. You should be like totally committed to. Like the claw is the law. Or, or, or even you, there are no not, laws when there's not- claw. <laughs> You're not woke unless you're drinking White Claw because I, I, if you're not drinking White Claw, ironically. Right, exactly. And, and that's the thing. You're drinking it ironically. But that, at the end of the day, it's making them all this money. Yeah. I can't prove that they're behind it. But if they were, it, whoever planned this did extremely well because they've manipulated yes. everyone, including myself, into doing it. Um, and so it's seeing it done like this in this movie, especially in getting into the equestrian equestrian equisapien martin luther king jr it just makes me doubt everything in my life because i'm like who stands to profit from this what's going That's, on i mean who have stands you, to profit how, how much of um, adam ruins everything have you watched i've watched enough adam ruins everything uh to know that he's not always right unfortunately that's true there are some things that are insane though Th- things that i found like independently verified Stuff like um, Listerine, inventing the word halitosis or the condition of halitosis, which is the con- like bad breath. Oh yeah. People didn't care or like or know about bad breath until they had a, a large marketing campaign to like make that a thing. So people so to sell their Listerine, their like mouthwash. Wow. Same thing with like jaywalking. Jaywalking was an advertising campaign to keep people from walking in the streets because they were trying to blame the pedestrians for being hit by cars instead of the cars being like hitting the people, which like you could argue is probably like a a, be- a large benefit to society to have people not being hit by cars and like have blaming at least someone on it. But like the fact that that was done, that the corporation was the one that behind it to uh push that into reality and and make that the change that everyone kind of follows is unbelievable i mean like you could go as far as like wedding rings oh um, yeah okay that one yes that one is one of the most egregious ones and it's so frustrating because it's almost unavoidable i i'm yes like it, it's so ingrained in our society that you should buy an expensive ring not just a ring not just a shiny piece of rock it's a specific amount yeah you need to be like putting yourself in somewhat financial straits or else it doesn't count (laughs) what a a scam that is what is freaking and i and again it it, they mix it with like love and your relationships and people start like well if he's not willing to commit this amount of money to me what is what is he really committing to is he really it's like (laughs) no no that's not what it's about (laughs) you're forcing me to commit this much money to a scam to prove my love that's frustrating <laughs> that to say that at least no that's exactly right and i mean that's there, there are so many examples of that and uh, so many examples of oh, wait, just, like just how so we our can be world clear, is yeah just so we can be clear there there's an artificial sh- uh shortage or or the the reason right, right, that right. diamonds and like rare jewels are so expensive is because the people who mine them are the only people who can mine them and they can create artificial shortages which jack up the prices um, yes. and then when you have to get married and have to buy one then they can charge you whatever they want really minecraft is a lie diamonds aren't that rare <laughs> they're not even that rare in minecraft there's a, there's enough <laughs> there's plenty <laughs> um 
Yeah, but th- there's all these examples of how like large influential corporations have have changed the landscape of our society um, for their own personal gain, and that's it. Um, and that I mean that's still happening. And although people are a little bit more savvy to ads and stuff, the people that are making the ads are just as smart as the rest of us, and they know what works, and they have all this evidence of what will will get people to click on their stuff, and all these things. There's all these techniques and and all these ways of constantly adapting to new situations to try and sell people more things. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's it's a, just kind of a constant war in a way, and uh, it, it may never end. Uh, because advertising has been such a lucrative business for so many people for such a long time. Don't forget to uh, listen to Affable Chat, by the way. Just Don't gonna, to like and subscribe. Yeah, we're going to plug right quick. <laughs> Consider listening to Affable Chat. It's a great podcast. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to try to keep us moving forward here. Um, sure. I think we're in a good, we're in a good spot here. Um, I love some of the stuff we're talking about, but we're, we're going to go a little more in depth as you move forward. But first... Cool Easter eggs. Joey, what do you got for us? Okay, so this one is a little strange, but the, 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 the kind of militant Antifa um, group in um, Sorry to Bother You is called Left Eye. They're like, the one, they're like professional agitators or, or protesters um, who show up at like, you know, big corporations and, and they always put on kind of large, like expensive stunts, um, like changing billboards or making statues or, or stuff like that. Um, their, their, their symbol is when you put like a, uh, like something, a black stripe under your left eye, kind of like a football player, uh, with those like reflective eye things. I don't know what they're really I think called. it's called like, eye it's like black. Paint. Yeah. So you, it's only under the left eye. Now there is a singer named Lisa Lopes who died tragically in a car accident, who was known as left eye. She was a singer in, um, the group TLC who sang, sings a song that I, I really like called No Scrubs, uh, which is about how she hates the, the show Scrubs. That's not true. It's actually. That's not <laughs> Scrub is a guy that thinks he's flying. Is also known as a buster. Always talking about what he wants and just sits on his broke ass. So, no, I don't want your number. No, I don't want to give you mine. And no, I don't want to meet you nowhere. No, don't want to That's so funny. It's though. a great Can song. Can you imagine somebody hating Scrubs so much that they make, <laughs> they make a, a great song? song. And it goes. It's like a hit too. People are like, I don't yeah. want no Scrubs. Like the whole show gets canceled because of this, this uprising. Like the people don't want Scrubs, man. Like <laughs> a dream come true. Um, anyway, um, yes. Unfortunately, she died tragically in a, in a traffic um, traffic accident, uh, but. Um, I think this, this is like almost a direct reference to her. Um, and she, there's all these, all the stuff about how, like after she died, they did, they housed all these, um, um, uh, charities and stuff set up or, you know, funds set up, um, in her name to fund like people in, um, who are less fortunate. Um, and she did all this, you know, she was very outspoken and kind of a controversial figure when she was alive. Um, so it, I don't know if this is like 
a direct reference to it or not, but it seems like it's it's pretty close it's, to yes. it. So I thought that was pretty oh, cool. definitely. And she's referred to a lot. Apparently, she's. I, I haven't listened to much more of TLC than No Scrubs because obviously that's like their hit. But uh, Left Eye definitely referenced a lot in hip hop, especially a little maybe like a decade ago, um, closer to when she was still alive. But um, yeah, definitely because Kanye actually refers to her as Left Eye in one of his songs. He's like talking about oh, yeah. when he uh, gets in a a car wreck well because kanye also famously was in a bad car accident um that he survived obviously but he says uh like i can't complain what that accident did to my left eye because look what an accident did to left eye so it's enough people like she's her one of her known degueras is definitely left eye um so i think this okay. is a yeah definite uh reference to her all right so um there's this is kind of leading right into the songs aspect of this. Uh all of the songs in this movie were done by The Coup, uh which is Boots Riley's I it was described on Wikipedia as his political hip hop band, which he started in 1992 or 1993. Um and there there's all these really great songs uh, that are sampled throughout this movie, um especially the one that we featured at the beginning of this movie uh of, the, of this um review that's titled O-Y-A-H-Y-T-T, which is an acronym for uh, the lyrics of the song, which are, oh yeah, all right, hell yeah, that's tight. <laughs> we, Very... well, we would be remiss to not, to, to not at least mention uh, a little bit more about who Boots Riley is, because he's a really yes. interesting guy. Like we said, this is his directorial debut, but he's a rapper, producer, screenwriter, film director, and activist, and and big emphasis on activist. It seems that that is the one thing that pervades through all of his work is his activism. He makes he makes content with a purpose. Yes, and um, a lot of like Wikipedia notes um, that uh, the coup is known for their lyricism, uh, which you can see in this movie as well. Um, it, like the way that they string things together um, is is. Uh, truly remarkable we want to mention the one, the one song well yes i was about to say like <laughs> there's i think that's a uh good thing to juxtapose against our feature hip-hop song performed by cassius green sure. uh in this movie uh if you can't remember what that song was like here's a here's a little bit of it nigga shit nigga shit nigga 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 shit nigga shit nigga shit nigga 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 shit nigga shit So yeah, actually, I thought this was really. First off, it's hilarious. Um, like, it's especially, hysterical, especially because right before that, when he's trying to rap, it's legitimate cringe. Like it's like oh uh, like the Office season two like level of cringe, where you're like, oh god, I don't even want to see. My this. name is Cash, and and I like to. Someone from the audience says, "Smash." <laughs> <laughs> and also, dude, how. Like just because he's black, they're like, you can definitely rap, you know? Okay, but but what about this, right? Like he knows his audience and he knows what they want. So he just gives them the excuse to say the N-word over and over as loud as possible. Like it's like, it's just so egregious. It's just like, oh, you know, like how do I pander to white people? Oh, give them the permission to say the one thing they're not allowed to say. <laughs> well, I mean, again, it, it just kind of, I don't want to seem like holier than thou or, or like above certain stuff. Like, oh, I'm too good for this type of music. But there definitely is a lot of like what people consider like mumble rap, which yes. is just kind of like sick, like sick beats that make you want to nod your head and then basically saying nothing with the N word spliced in there a bunch with other pejoratives and and uh, words that are not po like politically correct and, and you know obviously cuss words, but 
I think this does a good job of criticizing that, saying, look how cheap this experience right. is. Right, it distills it down to its most basic um, values. And it, I mean, it is catchy. You don't, wanna, don't you want to sing along? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's got rhythm. I'll, I'll admit that, you know, but... <laughs> These, there's no, there was no uh, uh, singing along going on in my living room when this movie was on. I guarantee that. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was just hilarious. And uh, just, you know, there's a, there's so many of these things about this movie where it, it all build towards this narrative, but at the same time, they can be taken out of context and still have a lot of meaning. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's move on to our quotes. It's like soon is the only fucking word I hear from you. Okay, I'm four months late, but check this out. Damn, God made this land for all of us. And greedy people like you want to hog it to yourself and your family and charge all the rest of us for the right to live. Me and my family? Yeah. Cassius, I'm your fucking uncle. This is great, I think. I mean, this is um, interesting just because Cash is using like a like a left-leaning talking point for his own personal, like, to get to win this argument. Yeah, to win an argument he, with his landlord. <laughs> with his landlord, who's also his uncle. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. I remember seeing this in the trailer and thinking, like, oh, it makes me want to see this movie. Oh, so this is, like... Well, actually, you bring up the trailer. Um, so I think I remember seeing the trailer for this movie, and it almost entirely honed in on the white voice aspect. Like yes. It was like, this yes. is the movie where the guy uses his white voice to become a good telemarketer, which actually is kind of a good synopsis of the movie, but it definitely doesn't imply some of the massive things that happen throughout this film. Yes. And I, it's actually like that. I, when I was thinking about this, like I was thinking about movies I, I missed that I, I wanted to see, but I didn't get a chance to. And then somebody was um, was talking about this and they spoiled the ending. So I actually knew like the big twist. Um, but then that just convinced me I needed to see it more. Um, so I was very much. Hold on, like, wait. What is the big twist? The horses. The big twist is that they're turning people into horses. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. They said something along those lines. I'm like, wait, is that really what happens in this movie? I have to see it now. So <laughs> it, it took me like another couple of months before I actually got to it. But yeah, that, then it became a must see on my list, and and then it became a must see for the podcast. So yes, no. Again, this is like I have to. This is one of the best you've ever recommended for the podcast. Oh, thank I, I know you. It's too early to to give my review or anything, but I, like seriously, I, I would my mind exploded when I watched this movie. I'm sorry, we're we're getting way off track. We're talking about this this quote. <laughs> well, you just brought uh, the white voice, so let's talk about the white voice now. When people say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you don't talk white enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. Then he why is this just proper? Mm. I'm talking about the real deal. Okay, so like. Hello, Mr. Everett. Cassius Green here. Sorry to bother you. I mean, you, you got it wrong. I'm not talking about <laughs> sounding all nasal. It's like sounding like you don't have a care. Got your bills paid. You happy about your future. You about ready to jump in your Ferrari out there after you get off this call. Put some real breath in there. Breezy. Like, I don't really need this money. You've never been fired. <laughs> Only laid off. It's not really a white voice. It's what they wish they sounded like. So it's like what they think they're supposed to sound like. This is awesome. This is such a great explanation of like what the white voice means. It's like and because you don't get that in the trailer, right? Like, oh, this is a funny bit that he's doing. And it's so clear that it's not his voice. It's actually David Cross. Um, who's a very, great choice, very great talented, choice for a white guy, very voice. white guy. 
And um, the 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 other white voice in this movie is Patton Oswalt, who is also a very like also a great comedian and uh you know hilarious white guy um and has a very white guy sounding voice so um the, both of those guys as uh, like voice acting in this movie are are hilarious and, and great great decisions but to make take it further from just sounding white to being like like feeling white almost in a way like where you you don't have to worry about the same things that like people uh, that are black have to worry about like the things that you have to worry about every day cash the screen like don't Think about those. Imagine that your life is perfect, just like you imagine some white person's life is perfect, and and that's what's going to get people on board. That's what's going to sell, uh, you know, your encyclopedias. Yeah, it's crazy. It's it's again, it's one of those times where, um, like watching it, I started feeling a little bit guilty too, because I'm like, yeah, my life is actually like not flexing on you right now, but like my life is j- pretty good, I would say. Like I, I like. <laughs> There are plenty of people who have it much, much worse than I do, right? And I and I do try to, especially when I'm working in uh, like with a client, you know, I try to put on this as part of my voice, part of my demeanor, where I'm cheerful and having a good time. And and I think part yeah. of that also is like um, kind of like the southern vibe here, where like a lot of people are like, I, I'm having a wonderful day. How is your day going? You know that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. But then I'm like, why am I really doing that? <laughs> what is the or, or even what what kind of image am I trying to give off? And it sounds like exactly what Danny Glover describes here. Well, that's so interesting you say that because what this is an example of uh, of like him using the white voice is an extreme example of something that people do every day, not just black people, but everybody. Um, and it's something that's called has a name. It's called code switching. Um, and I, I was talking about this right now because I think this is so interesting. It was just, it's described on Wikipedia. Code switching is in lingu- in linguistics. Code switching or language alteration occurs when a speaker alternates between two or more languages or language variants in the context of a single conversation. Now, you, like, you, even if you're not um, a uh, minority, you still code switch. You talk differently to your friends than you do to your boss. You may talk differently to your boss than you do to your family. Um, you may talk differently to uh, someone at, like, who you're, who's uh, serving you food than you do to, you know, your girlfriend. Like, it's all gonna, the way you speak to other people is, like, the code that you're using. Um, and in a big way, like the words you use kind of imply a certain thing about you. It, there's all these studies or like uh, all these, at least, you know, interviews they have with, with people of color um, who say that when they, uh, when they use code switching, when they actively try to sound like their white peers, they are more successful. They're accepted more easily and, and stuff like that. Like it's, it's crazy. And it's a subconscious thing. You know, you don't necessarily say, oh, I'm going to talk differently when I talk to this person, but you just do it because you know it's going to get you what you want easier. And, you know, people of color do this to an even more extreme degree. And it's it's done to the, the absolute extreme in this movie. No, I think it's great. And it's, uh, I'm glad that you put it in that context too, because uh, to say that we all do it and it's a part of almost, it's basically a part of every interaction. Yeah. Because I think some people look at code switching as maybe dishonest sometimes, uh, especially when you bring up politicians. For instance, there's that hilarious Key and Peel bit where. Oh my God, uh, I love President, that. Bit. <laughs> President Obama is going around and, and shaking dabbing hands up with all the black guys and just like yeah. shaking the hands of all the white guys. <laughs> Yeah, and they're like, and there's that one guy who you can't tell because he's kind of in between. 
<laughs> and he's like one fourth, like yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like he has some super uh, what's it secret story of this guy who like whispers in his ear what race he is. Yeah, and then he's like, and then they give him the they dap him up and stuff. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> when you look at it like that, obviously that's a funny sketch, but people look at it as like, oh, he's just he's you're being uh, you're you're pandering to your audience. Um, but I yeah. mean, what do you do most of the time? You you want to be nice to your audience. You want to tell people what they want to hear a lot of the times. So how is this any different? It's just doing it with your dialect and your choice of words and your speech pattern as opposed to necessarily the exact things that you're saying. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up like the dishonesty because that's something that a lot of people, especially people of color, feel are afraid of. When they are actively code switching and they realize what they're doing, um, they're afraid of being seen in a situation that could, you know, compromise. I don't want want to say their street cred, but that's kind of the idea, right? Like they see them if they, uh, you know, when you're introducing someone to a new group of friends, like you're not sure how to act. Like, do I act like, like how they expect me to act, or do I act like that person expects me to act, or, or you know, if you're if you're you know a good person, then you just act the same way around everyone. So. Well, but no, still. But it, 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 no, 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 no. See, that's what I'm talking about is saying that if you act like a, if you're a good person, you'll act the same everywhere. I don't think that's necessarily the truth, because with certain friends, I'm like, hey, man, let's go Bepis mode right now. You know, and then, like for somebody who's totally outside of our friend group, maybe it would make more sense for me to to be to say something more normal. Right. And that's like, let's, I, go, it, was like, let's go get a Pepsi. Yeah. <laughs> That is not what going Beppis mode means, <laughs> but uh, but yes, um, it it's those are all different levels of the same thing, uh, which yeah. is code switching, and it, it's I think it's something that if um, you should use it to your advantage if if it's necessary. I I think it's unfortunate that it is so necessary, especially when you talk about like the black experience in America, where it almost is a prerequisite for success. Yeah, um, it's obviously something that this movie is saying, but um, it's shouldn't be as looked down upon as at least i've perceived it to be right it is a, it is like a skill that you can use to your advantage you know and and if you recognize that's something that everyone does then you're not gonna be thrown by it necessarily but i don't know it's it can be jarring being in a situation where someone suddenly starts to act a little differently around other people you know it seems like they're they're lying in a way or if maybe they finally stopped lying yes and they're only lying to you <laughs> Yes, plant that seed. Um, <laughs> all right, my next quote. Worry-free CEO Steve Lift was interviewed on Oprah today. No, conclusively no. Our workers do not sign contracts under threats of physical violence. So therefore, the comparison to slavery is just ludicrous and offensive. We're this is uh, Steve Lift, of course, uh, shown on TV, uh, played by Army Hammer, and he is almost perfectly cast as like the... <laughs> The douchebag white guy who runs a corporation. The way he's dressed when he's on that when he's oh saying my gosh. this quote the way he's dressed so in every ridiculous. scene. <laughs> he's so good. Like the part where he yells at the um equi what are they called? Equisapiens, I'm gonna turn Equisapiens. you into glue. Well yeah, he's like, You beautiful like monstrosities or whatever. <laughs> oh yeah, he was uh, he's so well so cast. Good. Yes. Um I I really like this quote. Um especially uh in context to recent events because it's uh he's saying oh there is this one aspect that is not identical to slavery therefore it is not slavery like you can't and it's offensive it for you even mention yeah. slavery in the same yeah. breath you know i can't believe it that's offensive to slaves you know people who are really enslaved 
would not uh, would be happy to work at worry free. It's a step up. Maybe you shouldn't say that. Anyway, this isn't <laughs> I, the reason why I bring this up is because um, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, there have been this there's been this big um, uh, problem. I uh, bigger than a problem, but there's a crisis at the border. And people are saying that the people being held in cages at the border are being held in a concentration camp. And some people have taken great, uh, a, a big problem with the word concentration camp and said, no, it is not a concentration camp. There are differences between a concentration camp and what's happening at the border. It's been, I've seen but, a lot of evidence on both sides of this. I've seen people who are, both people who are in the Holocaust, uh, yeah, on, uh, who are on both sides of this. They're like, I, was, I lived through the Holocaust. I was in a concentration camp. This is a concentration camp. Other people, I was in the Holocaust. I was in a concentration camp. This is not a concentration camp. It kind of depends listen, on... Joey, listen, what? Joey. I don't like to inject my own political beliefs into the podcast. Yes. Okay? I, I like to get along with everybody. But... The question is, are there concentration camps on the border? No. Conclusively, no. There is no orange juice <laughs> in any of these camps. There's no oranges being green juiced. So the comparison to concentration camps is just ludicrous and offensive. You know, you summed it up better than I could. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly the point, is that it's like people don't want to use uh, specific words because concentration camps, slavery has this n extreme negative connotation to it. And to the fact where if it were happening, people would be more than outraged. They would demand that this thing is shut down immediately. So it's in the corporation or the government's best interest to, if they want to keep this thing going, to disassociate yourself as far as possible from those negative words because if you to, if were to admit that you are putting people in concentration camps that would constate that you are doing something evil so it's um whether or not you agree with that um this war of words is prevalent in this movie and that they're trying to con they're trying to control the narrative they're trying to say oh slavery that is not what's happening and here's why specifically it's not enough for you to to like you know extrapolate or something you see this again in a different quote in this movie which i thought was also hilarious but i haven't included here uh when uh detroit puts up that statue of a of a some of, i guess it's steve lift um having sex with a, a horse and there's a sign on the horse that says uh worry freeze people turning people into horses and there's this guy in the street he's like what do you think this means and she comes up and says i think maybe it's literal and he says and like maybe worry free is actually turning people into horses and he says and they're fucking them too it's like he doesn't get that there's going to be more to this metaphor you know he doesn't it's either all or nothing and I think right. that in this situation, it's exactly the same. It's either, oh, it's definitely slavery because it hits bullet point, bullet point, bullet, bullet point. It can't be almost slavery and therefore slavery. It has to be exactly. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're so right, dude. The same thing with like, it's like, um, it's like certain people are acting like Nazis. And it's like, well, hold on, hold on. The Nazis were pro-gun control. And these right. people are adamantly pro-guns. So couldn't be, could not be. Yes. Even, like, to even mention that is just ludicrous and offensive. That's correct. It, this, is, <laughs> this is exactly the point. You know, this is genius. This is going to be, <laughs> hold on, dude. I'm about to never lose an argument again. <laughs> I'm about to get away with everything that I ever want to do uh, because I can just say that, like, just find one difference. And uh, uh, that's that's really frustrating. Yes. I mean, hey, sticks and stones may break your bones, but without words, you could never say ouch. 
<laughs> I've never heard that before. That's great. Uh, okay. Um, I've got the next quote. So why you ain't dancing, man? I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> okay, so this is obviously a reference to uh, Lethal Weapon, right? Yes. Uh, with Danny Glover saying, like, I- I'm getting too old for this shit. Uh, and in this movie, it's years later that this movie's being made after Lethal Weapon. And now Danny Glover is officially too old for that shit. That's why he's not dancing. Isn't it funny that there's some actors that are just, like, always old? Maybe that's just because we're young, but, like, you know, like Danny Glover is a perfect example. It's like he's he was, as far as I can remember, he's always been the old guy, still the old guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I wonder. Well, we, now um, I wonder if we'll see like a new era of the old guys because I don't think Tom Hanks is going to ever not be an old guy now, right? True. Yeah, I mean so, like, that happens. I mean, actors' roles change as they get older and stuff. So, but it's like once you age into being an old guy, if you're a really good old guy, it might like overshadow the rest of your career. Because there are like somewhat young Morgan Freeman roles, but all the ones we remember are him being like some ancient geezer. That's right. That's that's exactly the example I was going to use. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, maybe I mean Tom, like Forrest Gump, obviously, but like Tom Hanks could eventually get to the point where um, you're like, oh, he's that old guy, right? Like, and the next generation might only see him as like, um, you know, that gentle old man that plays uh, Mister Rogers. Yeah, that's. I mean, could be. Have you seen that ClickHole article where he's like, I won't rest until I've portrayed every last American. <laughs> no, that's good. That's, a to- that's Tom Hanks' mission. <laughs> he's, on, he's on a good track. <laughs> okay, my, my turn. You've been selected, Mr. Green, because you have the potential to be a great telemarketer. The potential. Do you know what we sell up here? Oh, I heard it's Oh, a- we sell power. Firepower. Manpower. When U.S. weapons manufacturers sell arms to other countries, who do you think, Mr. Green, makes that call to precisely perfect time? Which is, of course, dinner. We do. So this is when he finds out what the power uh, callers are selling, which is far, uh, far removed from uh, what the people in the basement of Regal View are, are selling. And I, I want to take this opportunity to show the difference between the people in the basement and the power callers. Like, there's no intermediate step i guess you could say the managers technically but like the promotion goes from being in the basement being treated like trash you know barely surviving on commission alone to having like uh going into the golden elevator like that's only and then you know uh what's it uh going you are upstairs. in your sexual prime yes you, yeah you are <laughs> like, all these like, affirmations <laughs> from the elevator which are super weird <laughs> Uh, like getting enough money to to pay off the house, get a new car, get a new apartment, get all sorts of new things and everything. That's only one step. You know, the difference between the lowest earners and the highest earners is like is so far away from each other. Um, like this is just a a perfect example of the wealth gap that's ex- that's um, exaggerated in this movie. I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah, especially well, this made me uh, think about the long like pin code that it took oh my to get the God, that was such going. a good bit too is that well is that just a bit what are they saying with that bit it's just that it's complicated <laughs> like even if you even if you broke into the elevator and try to ride it to the top on your own there's th- things that are just totally out of your control that would totally stop you from doing that like this 64 character pin code that gets the i don't know if it had going. any meaning besides that it's just hilarious to have someone type in something a bunch of times like because it was i mean 
the gag works so well because it happens twice. You know, right? the first time is when debauchery is uh, typing it in, and, it, and she's like, you know, smiling over her shoulder, and it just, she keeps <laughs> typing, and it just keeps going. She's like, she almost keeps done, it like it's and almost she's only done. halfway done. <laughs> and then it comes back when he has the paper with the code on it, and he has to type it into the second time. Like it's, uh, it's just, I don't know. I thought that was just funny. It's just bizarre. I don't think it had any, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not, it didn't seem like it did. It didn't seem like it had any meaning. <laughs> um, okay, I've got the next one. Big magenta colored doors at the end of the hall. Steve Liff will be waiting for you. He wants you in there. And look here, young blood. We don't cry about the shit that should be. We just thrive in what is. And what is? Opportunity. This could be big caches. If this for me is like it's still one of the more intriguing aspects of this movie because um they kind of give us an answer uh that like you should be anti-capitalist basically but at the same time that doesn't really sound like a really good way to live and i think we'll get into this a little bit more a little later but here's a man who has decided to totally forego um, helping out his fellow man and instead he takes advantage he looks at his situation as being fortunate and he's going to take full advantage yeah well that's the, the decision that cassius has to make right it's either his uncle loses his house or like he stands with his friends and for him there's like almost no choice in that and i mean this is a decision that many people have to make um you know and maybe not to this extreme maybe it's not quite laid out this black and white but it's like Oh, um, I have to decide between what I think is morally right or what's good for my soul and like being financially well off because that's really the only thing that matters. You know, it's it's crazy to me that like you're mostly defined by your occupation, you know, Uh, like throughout your life, you know, what do you ask when you're a kid? What do you want to be when you grow up when you're in college? You know, you're asked what your major is because that gives you a good understanding of what kind of person you are. When you're when you graduate, you ask. You know, one of the first things you ask is occupation. You know, you ask what that person does, and and if you're describing someone, you ask who, like, what do they do for a living? And you know, you have a certain you have certain biases towards certain professions, and of course, certain biases to people that are unemployed. But it's um, it's a defining factor of our of our civilization that oh, this person is is this kind of person because they do this kind of job. It's. Yeah, and I think it's, for me, when do you decide that you're going to fully commit to that like way of measuring your wealth or your status yeah. and say, I need to get the best position I can because it looks like this is all that matters. Uh, but I do, I kind of want to put a pin in it for a minute because obviously we're going to return to this. Okay. Next quote. No fucking misunderstanding, man. So you making half human, half horse fucking things so you can make more money? Yeah, basically. I just didn't want you to think I was crazy, that I was doing this for no reason, because this isn't irrational. So oh. this is when he's explaining the um, the whole concept of Equisapiens to Cash, to Cash um, and he's uh, showing him he's the video. To explain, yeah, he's trying to explain to him that like I like I'm not an evil person. This is just the next step, and I think this is such a interesting um, like development, not just in the movie, um, but just. Uh, like for capitalism in general, like Steve Lift just says, oh, uh, you know, what do I need to do to maximize my profits? I already have everyone working for me basically for free, you know, basically at cost. I have to pay for their room and, and, and food. Um, but that's, you know, how can I get more out of them? 
And, you know, the next step is to change them into horse people and make them more productive. Like to him in his like his executives and everything like that, it's just the next logical step. It's not irrational. Um, and, you know, he, he already like doesn't view his workers as human. So like he doesn't have to make any sort of moral sacrifices here in order for him to, to make this decision. Um, and it, he, the way he explains it and the way he believes it and everything. And, and even though he realizes that when he, when cash sees the Equisapiens in person, he's horrified. He, he tries to placate that with this, vi- like this cute animated video that he, a like claymation video that he has um, to show like, Oh, this is like, gonna be good for everyone like everyone's gonna like this yeah it, it's still horrifying then because like it it works with 70 percent of humans it's like oh well, what happens to the 30 percent because what happens to the 70 percent looks pretty bad i wonder what yep. happens to the 30 percent yep uh but they look so much cuter in the uh um in the claymation don't they well so much more it- friendly uh, yes, <laughs> especially the da-da, like it like shows the Equisapien yeah, yeah. like kind of posing after he's been ter- like finished transformation. Um, so it's uh, I'm I'm it's interesting that you bring that up, like him not viewing his workers as humans, uh, because when he's first talking to Cash, like after Cash takes the big old hit of cocaine, he's like, "You're one of the people that's gonna." like save this country you know he views the problem uh in the country not being that people are living in bad conditions is that they're not making enough money is it's that they're not efficient enough in their in their businesses and how they're making their money which is such a weird way to to look at it and and it's like the most capitalist way i guess yeah the only thing that matters is productivity it's just right in front of their faces they're turning human beings into monstrosities and nobody gives a fuck most people that saw you on that screen knew calling their congressman wasn't going to do shit. If you get shown a problem but have no idea how to control it, then you just decide to get used to the problem. Um, I think this is absolutely true. Um, constantly, we're kind of bombarded with all of these big problems, things like climate change or like the crisis at the border or um, corporations running America or whatever you want to say, whatever your... Ele- our elections are uh, messed up. You know, yes, we need to have there, there are so many system. problems that you can get behind. Pennies are worthless. Why do we still have to make pennies? You know, there's so many thing- causes that you could get behind. But without a clear solution, without, uh, without like you having any effect on it, what can you do except get used to it? Because that's the way things are. But of course, that sounds so terrible because it seems like you're you're agreeing with it. You know, it sounds like, oh, there's nothing I can do about this thing. So I guess I should just let it go. But like, what can you do? I don't know. It's tough. And they don't really give you an answer necessarily. I mean, they, like they tried. I think this movie pushes this idea of you're changing the world in your own way, doing what's under your power. And yeah, they don't necessarily say this, but I think the implication there is that if we all do that, then the world will move collectively in the right direction. Um, but for me, it just gave me a really hopeless feeling. <laughs> it definitely does. But I think you're right because at the end, you know, well, sorry, at the beginning, um, Cash is like worried about these existential threats like the sun blowing up or like how his life will be remembered or anything. And Detroit's just like, you know, you have to live in the moment and accept that. And in the end, he does kind of do that. I mean, that's his whole arc is kind of accepting that maybe things are kind of screwed up and, and awful, but, um, you know, what matters right now is is right now. And that and I need to make the most of that and, and do what I can in that direction. So I, I think that may be the message, although it is kind of nebulous, but um it's uh it's certainly 
um, kind of packaged in a big shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Delicious. And I think with that, it's time. Uh, well, I, rather, I, I think you know what time it is, Joey. I do know what time it is. It's time for us to go a little deeper, deeper. So obviously we've been circling this, but this movie is a very, it's probably the most anti-capitalist movie I've ever seen. Would you say it's propaganda? Propaganda. Um, I think you can make the argument. Um, there, I think that it is a little bit unfair toward capitalism. I think it doesn't show some of the merits of capitalism. One of my favorite stories now of capitalism is how like the railroad standardized time zones and time. So we're all on the same clock because the railroads got together and said, this is going to be better for us if we are, if everyone's on, has the same exact time. And there was a lot of resistance and stuff, but they pushed through and now you know, the whole world is basically synchronized, which is kind of amazing. Um, and that was not due to any government. That was due to the railroad companies doing that. So um, I don't know. I think there's, there are certainly aspects of capitalism that have benefited people. I look at the United States, the most prosperous country in the world, was built on capitalism and stuff. So, but we're at a point now, the, like the late capitalism stage, where things have gotten pretty out of control. And people have learned to um, you know, use the system to their own advantage at the expense of everyone else, which has never been what capitalism is about. Capitalism has always been about expanding the pie, not taking from the people that have less. So, okay. Um, well, <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> we're talking about how this movie is anti-capitalist. Yes, I appreciate you. that. Is a good pitch for capitalism. Uh, but what is it? What What does this movie show us about? Well, why, okay. There's, there's a couple different things. So one of the things I think that it would put this movie in the not propaganda aspect or or category is mm-hmm. the union. The union is kind of like first of all, it started by Squeeze. Squeeze is like is doing this kind of because that's what he likes to do you know his his intentions i don't think are entirely pure in his creating this this union you know he's like oh i'm just trying to you know uh fix problems i'm just trying to you know stir up trouble or whatever trouble or trouble's already there i'm just trying to give people a solution to fix it but like i don't know he he's i think he takes this job almost as a way to start a union and to like gain power in a way in a in his own way that's what at least the kind of feeling i got and plus, like the people that are in the the strike aren't just real view workers. They're also like student activists and left eye activists and stuff like that. They're people that are there uh, in support of their fellow man, but they don't really have a stake in what's happening here. You know, not not exactly, not directly. So I don't know. I think the the creation of the union is definitely justified in this movie, but like the strike um, and the people in it aren't necessarily completely flawless. He's know. a serial unionizer, dude. Serial unionizer. There's nothing more dangerous. <laughs> um, one of the other things I thought was uh, almost like one of the most hilarious bits in this movie is when um, Cash finally convinces the world that Aquasapiens are real and that Worry-Free is creating them. And all it does is makes uh, Worry-Free stock go up to the point where it's breaking records. It's the highest stock has ever gone. And like the, all these people in like the pol- in politics and like who run the stock market and everything are shaking his hand and, and congratulating him. Uh, and I think this is absolutely appropriate. Who 
invest in the stock market, but the people at the top, the people at the bottom don't have the capital or like the ability. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They don't have the ability to save money and, and buy stocks and stuff. The only people that benefit are the people that are already viewing those people as less than human. So they're like, hey, this is going to be great for productivity. Let's freaking do this. God, that is so scary, man. Like, <laughs> <sighs> I just love that scene where he's like there. He's like cheering. He's like such a he's such a dude, bro. He's like yelling like, oh, yeah, my stock's the best. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so the last thing I want to talk about is um, worry free and slavery, uh, uh, which we've kind of mentioned already as like, oh, is worry free slavery? Um, uh, at least in the context of this movie. Um, and I think the answer is absolutely yes. Um, first of all, these people sign lifetime contracts. Um, they are, they aren't put on there. They're put there kind of without choice too. You see people consider it such as a uh, Cassius's, um, uh, uncle. Right. And I mean, think about it, right? If you're, if you can't, aff- if you're, if you're working every day and you can't afford food or rent, you know, and this company is saying, we'll give you food and rent. You know, that's like, what do you get? Like, how could you turn that down? You know, well, not only will we give you food and rent, we'll give you a job guaranteed forever. You'll never that's have right. to worry about losing your job or being homeless or going hungry. All of that will be covered forever guaranteed. Yes. Which is kind of amazing. Like, like it, on the very surface level, it sounds kind of like, a perfect solution but then if you think about it for literally any like any second you don't see the actual conditions inside the factory ever you only ever see propaganda for it wait you're telling me ntv spots was propaganda that of course <laughs> well hold on the thing is that was pro- hilarious it, it, it was accurate though i didn't feel like it was actually like even though he's pretending it was really nice in there it was, the whole thing that what we see of it was filmed in one room and he's like you know sitting on like a chair and then he's like over by the bunk beds like that's it and then he's like yeah. this is where we get our grub on and he's eating <laughs> off of a tray that's placed on top of someone who's laying in the bed like none of that looked good no exactly and i mean that's but like that's attractive to people that are in poverty you know people who can't afford those things are like hey you know maybe this isn't so bad maybe i could you know maybe this will help me survive so uh, like say what you will about slavery at least you know the slaves like had food and and shelter right (laughs) oh my god (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean that that's the pitch essentially and and I mean it's it's pretty clear that once you're in there you're kind of stuck right because you you can't leave you don't have any money you don't have any things you don't have anything you're you you're owned completely by the company and all your time all your free time is owned by the company um and all you really have is like your thoughts in a way and maybe not even that well, what do you what can you even think about if your whole life is just living and working, you know? There's that, that one sign that says like um it's like a billboard on the like on a highway, I guess, and it says if you worked here, you would already be at work or something like that. <laughs> if you If you were at worry free, you would already be at work. Yeah. No commute. Yeah, great. I would love to always be at work. That would be amazing. That's exactly what I want. Actually, throughout this whole movie, this kept on echoing in the back of my head, was that uh, line from School of Rock. Uh, We talked about that on our School of Rock episode where he's like, if I do what you say, I might turn into a robot. And that's like, literally all you become at that point is a freaking robot. Is you live to like, 
take in commands from the company and do whatever they say all the time. And you're not even even as efficient as a robot or an equisapient. So like, you're kind of replaceable still. Yeah. You, it, if I do what you say, hopefully, if I want to keep my job, I'll turn into a robot. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it definitely made me feel uncomfortable. All these examples of like bad capitalism going on. And I don't know, personal advocacy time. Should you try in your own life to dismantle capitalism or should you try to thrive in it? I mean, it depends on your like your worldview in a way, you know, like are, are you selfless or are you selfish uh, and to a certain aspect like well that's aspect. the thing to what extent is giving up every quitting your job and fighting to dismantle capitalism really going to do as much good as potentially becoming rich and do like making changes yourself and and using that power for what you think is good even though it's going to take you so, a while maybe to get to that point so I um, recently went to Hershey Park up in Pennsylvania because I, I live close, close enough to it. And we took a trolley ride, uh, which was like an hour and a half tour of the town of Hershey, which was built entirely by the company of Hershey and the, the founder, Milton S. Hershey. I think his middle name is Snavely, which is um, pretty it's amazing. It's pronounced <laughs> You're right. Um, <laughs> what was interesting about about Milton S. Hershey, Hershey is that he was in a lot of um, ways a classic capitalist in that he had this idea um, and he wanted to make candy for people. And he went on this long journey um, with many failures before he finally found this perfect recipe for chocolate. Uh, once, he, once he did that, he made his fortune like very quickly, but he gave a lot of it back. He would like he had he built this whole town of Hershey and all these like little buildings and stuff for his um for his workers to live in, but they were state of the art houses and he sold them to his workers at cost instead of like marketing them up because obviously he knew how much they made he could have priced them at some competitive margin and squeezed them for every dollar he had. He built this um this school for like dis like um uh what's the word Disenfran disenfranchised children. It accepts a couple thousand uh, students every year, and it basically pays for everything, including like um, like a, a scholarship of up to ninety five thousand dollars to any college that they want, and it's it's incredible. And it, the whole school like thrives on like basically interest uh, from a trust that he set up a long time ago, and it's still going to this day. And the people that set it up set it up in the way that he wanted, and that like nobody can touch that money. It's always going to go to those kids. There's a lot of things that he did later in life where he he stopped trying to make more money and just tried to live his life and try to make the lives of the people around him better. It was really a, such an inspiring story, and it's uh, like it showed me like what a capitalist could do for a for a town and for like the world. Hershey's chocolate is still going strong. It's one of the biggest brands out there, and they own so many different you know uh, like candy and stuff, and it's always been high quality. If you look at the back of a Hershey bar, you'll see that, like it says, most of these proceeds will go toward the Milton S. Hershey School for like disenfranchised boys. It's amazing, and like you don't really hear about that at all. You know, instead you hear about Elon Musk selling his shares of PayPal to start his own company where he can privatize space travel or like build his own solutions to traffic problems in, uh, you know, under under LA. It's like 
yeah, I, I guess you're helping people, you know, like, but you're really only helping yourself. Um, and there's all these problems with Elon Musk and like Tesla and, and his products and stuff and, and, you know, actually screwing over consumers and his own workers because they have, you know, for the right to work at SpaceX, they give them, um, you know, he gives them less pay than he gives his. them a lifetime contract. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like uh, there are, uh, I mean, there's so many examples of like famous capitalists today that are giving back only because it would make them look a little less evil. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And I hear, especially Elon Musk is criticized a lot. People are like, he's just a rich capitalist. He's evil. You might like him because he went on Joe Rogan, but he's actually evil. Um, and a lot of times just people correlate having money with being evil simultaneously. Uh, well, maybe he's not evil, but deeper. maybe he's just selfish. Well, sure. Um, but I guess just to get back to the um, the question at hand, should you, should you just try to be live like Hershey? Should you try to get rich and then hope that if you make it, you uh, you can give back one day? You promise yourself that you'll uh, not be greedy, or is it better to just say forget about it? Let's go destroy capitalism. Let's go shoplift at Forever Twenty One. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to destroy capitalism if everyone everyone listening to this podcast goes to forever 21 and takes one shirt no, no we're no, done no no no, no sorry. we're good no i the reason i brought that up it's a popular like phrase but it's actually according to people on twitter it's actually um totally pointless because um the people who work specifically at forever 21 apparently are in charge of stopping uh, shoplifting. So if they get like stuff gets shoplifted on their shift, then they'll get fired and the company will just oh, wow. replace them. So don't steal from forever 21. Um, but <laughs> what if I want to destroy capitalism? Well, that's the thing. There's like, I don't exactly know how to destroy capitalism, <laughs> but it, it, should that be the goal here? Should we say that this system is screwed and let's go, figure out something else i mean i don't know how do you destroy capitalism you elect uh randy sanders right uh and get him to go full communism uh because he has uh, integrity because he has integrity yeah you didn't watch the newest season of south park no i haven't seen it okay never mind then (laughs) well no okay but i guess i don't know maybe it's political activism maybe it's something else but um if you want to live a moral life i guess if you want to live a moral life do you continue to participate in capitalism or do you give it up completely and, and fight for something else? Well, there's certainly ways that you can be responsible within capitalism. You know, there's, there's a movement called like conscientious omnivores where like people that eat meat, but only find it from like organic uh, farms and stuff, or, or they, they don't buy processed stuff or, or anything like that. Or, um, you know, you don't buy bananas because bananas are evil stuff or from Chiquita at least. All, I mean, there's, there's examples of being an informed consumer um, that I feel like lets you kind of avoid a lot of the guilt that comes along with capitalism. But I don't know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. And it's also not something that a lot of people are willing to do. Right. And um, it, it, the thing is, it's a choice you have to make. You can't not make the choice. It's like, it's like do you, are you going to go to work tomorrow, really, is the, yeah. the question. Um, and unfortunately, even though I, this movie resonated with me in a lot of ways, I'm going to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and personally, I don't think that what I do is necessarily uh, immoral, um, but I won't get into the specifics of it. But I think it, there's like that saying, like, the only um, 
the only uh, like moral consumption in a capitalist society is eating ass. Like basically, if you do any, <laughs> you 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 winced. Was it something I said? Um, <laughs> it's if you participate at all, somebody you're you you personally are exploiting somebody or many somebodies um, by just participating, um, which sucks. It feels like there's no solution. I feel like that's not always true. But for the most part, what you're saying yes. when you're eating ass and you're that it's, it's not true then. Right. <laughs> Anyways, um, this to continue on this, I want to talk about Amazon. Okay. Um, because was this movie throwing shots at Amazon? Because I, I can't think of a company that fits worry free closer than Amazon. I mean, I can't, I don't know exactly. I know some of the specifics of like how Amazon treats its employees. Well, I've things. heard bad things. Yeah. But I don't know. I I think it's I don't think it's specifically Amazon because worry free is just like, oh, we'll do, we have like tons of workers and we'll do anything. You know, it's not like oh, we deliver packages or something. Well, sure, so, but but they're also massively successful in a way that no one else can even remotely compete with. I mean, that's true. That uh, sounds like Amazon know. to me. You know, I, that's not a comparison that I made when I was watching it, but I don't think you're wrong necessarily. Here's here's an interesting little another bit of Twitter politics, uh, but there's a popular okay. Twitter account with about forty thousand followers called um, at Has Bezos Decided, and uh, the the full name of it is Has Jeff Bezos Decided to End World Hunger? That's the question that this Twitter account is posing. And here's the description: <laughs> Jeff Bezos has a net worth of one hundred and eleven billion dollars. It the IFPRI, I'm not sure what that is, but it's, I'm sure it's some sort of group that deals with world hunger, uh, says it would cost $11 billion to end world hunger per year. So has Jeff Bezos decided to end world hunger today? Check back. And uh, you can check every day and they tweet now. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and um, Interesting. Right. And uh, Yeah. That, I know that they're, they're kind of pushing him into a corner by saying this, but like, is that evil to not end world hunger? Sounds evil. <laughs> it kind of does, but like, I don't know, it's like a sin of omission, right? It's like, what would it actually yeah. take, you know, to do this? Like, you can't just hand someone a check for $12 billion and then they'd be like, oh, we've, we've just been waiting for this. We did you know? it, boys. We've done it. World boys. hunger is no more. <laughs> it, I mean, it requires, I mean, that's something like that requires a lot of logistics and planning and things, but I mean, so Amazon, Amazon certainly has the resources to make something like that happen. I mean, I'm not saying that they, he, sh- he shouldn't try. It's just, you know, I don't know. It's simplifying I, the issue, I think. Sure, sure. But for me, at least, it's like something that almost could come out of this movie. You know, a like bringing up the fact that yeah. a single person has enough wealth to themselves to save everyone, but instead they don't. And it, because they're like, oh, why would I do that? What a waste of $11 billion it would be to end world hunger. You know, I can't imagine, like, what, you might as well, you know, why are we feeding these people if they can't even feed themselves? They're a waste, you know? It's like, ugh. I'd love to ask him. I'd have, I'd love to hear Jeff Bezos's reason why he doesn't do it. Because it sounds like, again, I, I, it's easy to spend other people's money, but it's, I'm wondering why that's not a bigger issue for him, or why maybe Bill Gates hasn't done it. I don't know. Bill Gates is working on other projects. He is, and he does good stuff too. Um, I know plenty of people hate him as well, but I think Bill Gates at least has done a lot to um, try to look like a good person as well um, with the way that he spends his money. Sure. All right. I'm nice and depressed. (laughs) 
I'm ready to go to work tomorrow, dude. I'm excited. This is motivating, right? Ugh. I feel worry-free. <laughs> oh, great. Nice. Uh, <laughs> with that, I think we should move on to our ratings. And um, why don't you go first, Joy? I give this movie $100 million and a smile. Smile, bitch. <laughs> That's great, dude. I love that. Um, I give this movie a, a brand new car as a thank you. And oh. I'll try to be as happy as I can uh, with the car that I have. Your Prius? I don't have a Prius. I have a Camry. I wish I had a Prius. Be more environmentally conscious. Um, all right. Anyways, Joey, what's, uh, <laughs> what's next on Apple Chat? Next movie we're doing is 500 Days of Summer. Yes, we are approaching the end of the summer. I think we're on the 500th day of summer. We're getting close there. We're in the 490s, I think, right? (laughs) You're telling me it's not 500 days in in summer? Um, (laughs) No. (laughs) So, um, all right. Whether you you love it or hate it, Joey, you have to admit, I'm spitting straight facts. um so that's uh that's coming up next week on affable chat um but in the meantime you can pick up your telephone tell them what they can do with their phone joey you can dial 833-600-CHAT that's 833-600-2428 yes and that is our custom voicemail uh inbox that you can call at any time and you'll hear a personalized message from us and you'll also be able to Leave a, uh, a recording of your voice that we can play on the podcast. That's right. You could even call us up and say, hey, Apple Chat, sorry to bother you. And uh, tell us anything that you want. Uh, we will laugh. Time? Yeah. <laughs> what better time to call us than after a movie about telemarketing? Okay. So just go ahead and pick up that phone. Dial that number. That's 833-600-CHAT. Yes, that's 833-600-2428. And don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. We're on everything. We're also on Spotify. Yes. Um, and don't forget to leave us a review as well. That really helps us grow. You can reach us on Twitter at AffableChat, or you can send us an email, AffableChat at gmail.com. We also have a YouTube channel uh, where we have YouTube videos about all sorts of things, not just movies. Check us out. We're, uh, we're constantly putting new stuff out there. Uh, but I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Affable Chat. I really enjoyed this movie. I'm, I'm uh, so glad. I'm, I'm so happy that, uh, <laughs> especially because you told me there was like, um, there's no way I was going to be ready for it. <laughs> and I was, I, and I even asked you how I could get ready. What a silly question. <laughs> because th- this movie... It jumped out of the screen at me, man. Oh, yes. oh, let me finish up what I was saying about my nightmares. <laughs> so <laughs> this movie gave me a nightmare um, because I went to sleep and like as I was dozing off to sleep, I was kind of in that like between consciousness and, and fully in, in sleep mode. Yeah. And I came up for some reason, imagine I was like, wait, what if I'm like, gonna turn into a horse like for some reason i convinced myself that i had also ingested the caplet so all through this all like through the night i was like oh god i'm gonna turn into it i'm gonna turn into one of them you know (laughs) look in the mirror my nostrils are gonna be huge and oh my god it's terrifying but oh my gosh how horrifying was it that that last scene you know where he pulls the thing down you think he hits his nose and he turns (laughs) around and his face is all deformed oh my gosh so bad like especially because i watched it and it was like right before bed it was the last thing i did before bed was seeing that and i was like no Although they also do kind of mitigate it by having him show up at the house of uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
yeah. of Steve Lift Steve right Lift. after that. I love that. So anyways, I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed this. So great choice, Joy, uh, on recommending this one. And uh, f- that's going to do it. So for Affable Chat, I'm Benjamin. And I'm Joey. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Affable Chat. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. If you have a question, comment, or want to request something for us to talk about, you can reach us at our Twitter account, at AffableChat, or our email, AffableChat at gmail.com. Once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.